0: Chapters five six and seven of the Invisible Man. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Invisible Man by h. g. Wells. Chapter five. The Burglary at the Vicarage. The facts of the burglary at the Vicarage came to us chiefly through the medium of the Vicar and his wife. It occurred in the small hours of Whit Monday, the day devoted in Iping to the club festivities. Mrs. Bunting, it seems, woke up suddenly in the stillness that comes before the dawn, with the strong impression that the door of their bedroom had opened and closed. She did not arouse her husband at first, but sat up in bed listening. She then distinctly heard the pad-pad-pad of bare feet coming out of the adjoining dressing-room and walking along the passage towards the staircase. As soon as she felt assured of this, she aroused the Reverend Mr. Bunting as quietly as possible. He did not strike a light, but putting on his spectacles, her dressing-gown and his bath-slippers, he went out on the landing to listen. He heard quite distinctly a fumbling going on at his study-desk downstairs, and then a violent sneeze. At that he returned to his bedroom, armed himself with the most obvious weapon, the poker, and descended the staircase as noiselessly as possible. Mrs. Bunting came out on the landing. The hour was about four, and the ultimate darkness of the night was past. There was a faint shimmer of light in the hall, but the study doorway yawned impenetrably black. Everything was still except the faint creaking of the stairs under Mr. Bunting's tread and the slight movements in the study. Then something snapped, the drawer was opened, and there was a rustle of papers. Then came an imprecation, and a match was struck, and the study was flooded with yellow light. Mr. Bunting was now in the hall, and through the crack of the door he could see the desk and the open drawer, and a candle burning on the desk but the robber he could not see. He stood there in the hall undecided what to do, and Mrs. Bunting, her face white and intent, crept slowly downstairs after him. One thing kept Mr. Bunting's courage, the persuasion that this burglar was a resident in the village. They heard the chink of money and realized that the robber had found the housekeeping reserve of gold, two pounds ten and half sovereigns altogether. At that sound Mr. Bunting was nerved to abrupt action. Gripping the poker firmly, he rushed into the room, closely followed by Mrs. Bunting. "'Surrender!' cried Mr. Bunting, fiercely, and then stopped amazed. Apparently the room was perfectly empty. Yet their conviction that they had that very moment heard somebody moving in the room had amounted to a certainty. For half a minute, perhaps, they stood gaping. Then Mrs. Bunting went across the room and looked behind the screen, while Mr. Bunting, by a kindred impulse, peered under the desk. Then Mrs. Bunting turned back the window-curtains, and Mr. Bunting looked up the chimney and probed it with the poker. Then Mrs. Bunting scrutinized the waste-paper basket, and Mr. Bunting opened the lid of the coal scuttle Then they came to a stop and stood, with eyes interrogating each other. "I oh, could a swoon,' said Mr. Bunting. "'The candle,' said Mr. Bunting. "'Who let the candle?' "'The drawer,' said Mrs. Bunting. "'And the money's gone.' She went hastily to the doorway. all the strange occurrences!' There was a violent sneeze in the passage. They rushed out, and as they did so, the kitchen door slammed. "'Bring the candle,' said Mr. Bunting, and led the way. They both heard a sound of bolts being hastily shot back. As he opened the kitchen door, he saw through the scullery that the back door was just opening, and the faint light of early dawn displayed the dark masses of the garden beyond." He is certain that nothing went out of the door. It opened, stood open for a moment, and then closed with a slam. As it did so, the candle Mrs. Bunting was carrying from the study flickered and flared. It was a minute or more before they entered the kitchen. The place was empty. They refastened the back door, examined the kitchen, pantry, and scullery thoroughly, and at last went down into the cellar. There was not a soul to be found in the house, search as they would. Daylight found the vicar and his wife, a quaintly costumed little couple, still marvelling about on their own ground floor by the unnecessary light of a guttering candle. CHAPTER Six: THE FURNITURE THAT WENT MAD Now it happened that in the early hours of Whit Monday, before Millie was hunted out for the day, Mr. Hall and Mrs. Hall both rose and went noiselessly down into the cellar. Their business there was of a private nature, and had something to do with the specific gravity of their beer. They had hardly entered the cellar when Mrs. Hall found she had forgotten to bring down a bottle of sarsaparilla from their joint-room. As she was the expert and principal operator in this affair, Hall very properly went upstairs for it. On the landing he was surprised to see that the stranger's door was ajar. He went on into his own room and found the bottle as he had been directed. But returning with the bottle he noticed that the bolts of the front door had been shot back, that the door was in fact simply on the latch and with a flash of inspiration he connected this with the stranger's room upstairs and the suggestions of Mr. Teddy Henfrey. He distinctly remembered holding the candle while Mrs. Hall shot these bolts overnight. At the sight he stopped, gaping, then with the bottle still in his hand, went upstairs again. He rapped at the stranger's door. There was no answer. He rapped again, then pushed the door wide open and entered. It was as he expected. The bed— the room also was empty and what was stranger even to his heavy intelligence on the bedroom chair and along the rail of the bed were scattered the garments the only garments so far as he knew and the bandages of their guest his big slouch hat even was cocked jauntily over the bedpost as hall stood there he heard his wife's voice coming out of the depth of the cellar with that rapid telescoping of the syllables an interrogative cocking up of the final words to a high note by which the west sussex villager is wont to indicate a brisk impatience george you got where i want at that he turned and hurried down to her jenny he said over the rail of the cellar steps "Does the truth what emfrey says he's not in his room he ain't and the front door's unbolted at first mrs hall did not understand and as soon as she did she resolved to see the empty room for herself Hall, still holding the bottle, went first. "'If he ain't there,' he said, "'his clothes are. And what's he doing without his clothes, then? "'Tis a most curious business.' As they came up the cellar steps, they both, it was afterwards ascertained, fancied they heard the front door open and shut. But seeing it closed and nothing there, neither said a word to the other about it at the time. Mrs. Hall passed her husband in the passage, and ran on first upstairs. Someone sneezed on the staircase— Hall, following six steps behind, thought that he heard her sneeze. She, going on first, was under the impression that Hall was sneezing. She flung open the door and stood regarding the room. the curious,' she said. She heard a sniff close behind her head, as it seemed, and turning, was surprised to see Hall a dozen feet off on the topmost stair. But in another moment he was beside her. She bent forward and put her hand on the pillow, and then under the clothes. "'Cold?' she said. he has been up this hour more.' As she did so, a most extraordinary thing happened. The bedclothes gathered themselves together, leapt up suddenly into a sort of peak, and then jumped headlong over the bottom rail. It was exactly as if a hand had clutched them in the centre and flung them aside. Immediately after, the stranger's hat hopped off the bedpost, described a whirling flight in the air through the better part of a circle, and then dashed straight at Mrs. Hall's face. Then uh, swiftly came the sponge from the washstand, and then the chair, flinging the stranger's coat and trousers carelessly aside, and laughing dryly in a voice singularly like the stranger's, turned itself up with its four legs at Mrs. Hall, seemed to take aim at her for a moment, and charged at her. She screamed and turned, and then the chair-legs came gently but firmly against her back, and impelled her and Hall out of the room. The door slammed violently and was locked. The chair and bed seemed to be executing a dance of triumph for a moment, and then abruptly everything was still. Mrs. Hall was left almost in a fainting condition in Mr. Hall's arms on the landing. It was with the greatest difficulty that Mr. Hall and Millie, who had been roused by her scream of alarm, succeeded in getting her downstairs, and applying the restoratives customary in such cases. "'Twas spirits,' said Mrs. Hall. "'I know to spirits. I've readin' papers of an tables and chairs leaping and dancing take a drop more jenny said hall twas steadier lock him out said mrs hall don't let him come in again i half guessed i might have known with them goggling eyes and bandaged head and never going to church of a sunday in all they bottles more'n it's right for any one to have he's put the spirits into the furniture my good old furniture twas in that very chair my poor dear mother used to sit when i was a little girl think it should rise up against me now.' "'Just a jot more, Janny,' said Hall. "'Your nerves is all upset.' They sent Millie across the street through the golden five-o'clock sunshine to rouse up Mr. Sandy Wadgers, the blacksmith. Mr. Hall's compliments, and the furniture upstairs was behaving most extraordinary, would Mr. Wadgers come round. He was a knowing man, was Mr. Wadgers, and very resourceful. He took quite a grave view of the case, "'Oh, I'm damned if they ain't Witchcroft,' was the view of Mr. Sandy Wadgers. "'You want all shoes for such gentry as he.' He came round greatly concerned. They wanted him to lead the way upstairs to the room, but he didn't seem to be in any hurry. He preferred to talk in the passage. Over the way, Huxter's apprentice came out and began taking down the shutters of the tobacco window. He was called over to join the discussion. Mr. Huxter naturally followed over in the course of a few minutes the anglo-saxon genius for parliamentary government asserted itself there was a great deal of talk and no decisive action let's have the facts first insisted mr Sandy Wadgers. let's be sure we'd be acting perfectly right in busting that there door open a door on bust is always open to bustin', but you can't on bust a door once you've busted in and suddenly and most wonderfully the door of the room upstairs opened of its own accord and as they looked up in amazement they saw descending the stairs the muffled figure of the stranger staring more blackly and blankly than ever with those unreasonably large blue-glass eyes of his he came down stiffly and slowly staring all the time he walked across the passage staring then stopped look there he said and their eyes followed the direction of his gloved finger and saw a bottle of sarsaparilla hard by the cellar door then he entered the parlour and suddenly, swiftly, viciously, slammed the door in their faces. Not a word was spoken until the last echoes of the slam had died away. They stared at one another. "'Well, if that don't lick everything,' said Mr. Wadgers, and left the alternative unsaid. "'I'll go in and ask him about it,' said Wadgers to Mr. Hall. "'I'll demand an explanation.' It took some time to bring the landlady's husband up to that pitch. At last he rapped opened the door, and got as far as, "'Excuse me, go to the devil,' said the stranger in a tremendous voice, and, "'Shut that door after you.'" So that brief interview terminated. CHAPTER Seven: THE UNVEILING OF THE STRANGER The stranger went into the little parlour of the coach and horses about half-past five in the morning, and there he remained until near midday, the blinds down, the door shut, and none, after Hall's repulse, venturing near him. All that time he must have fasted. Thrice he rang his bell, the third time furiously and continuously, but no one answered him. is go to the devil, indeed,' said Mrs. Hall. Presently came an imperfect rumour of the burglary at the vicarage, and two and two were put together. Hall, assisted by Wadgers, went off to find Mr. Shuckleforth, the magistrate, and take his advice. No one ventured upstairs. How the stranger occupied himself is unknown now and then he would stride violently up and down and twice came an outburst of curses a tearing of paper and a violent smashing of bottles the little group of scared but curious people increased mrs Huxter came over some gay young fellows resplendent in black ready-made jackets and piquet paper ties for it was whit monday joined the group with confused interrogations young archie harker distinguished himself by going up the yard and trying to peep under the window-blinds he could see nothing but gave reason for supposing that he did, and others of the iping youth presently joined him. It was the finest of all possible wit Mondays, and down the village street stood a row of nearly a dozen booths, a shooting-gallery, and on the grass by the forge were three yellow and chocolate wagons, and some picturesque strangers of both sexes putting up a coconut shy. The gentlemen wore blue jerseys, the ladies white aprons, and quite fashionable hats with heavy plumes wadger of the purple fawn and mr jaggers the cobbler who also sold old second-hand ordinary bicycles were stretching a string of union jacks and royal ensigns which had originally celebrated the first victorian jubilee across the road and inside in the artificial darkness of the parlour into which only one thin jet of sunlight penetrated the stranger hungry we must suppose and fearful hidden in his uncomfortable hot wrappings poured through his dark glasses upon his paper or chinked his dirty little bottles, and occasionally swore savagely at the boys, audible if invisible, outside the windows. In the corner by the fireplace lay the fragments of half a dozen smashed bottles, and a pungent twang of chlorine tainted the air. So much we know from what was heard at the time, and from what was subsequently seen in the room. About noon he suddenly opened his parlour door, and stood glaring fixedly at the three or four people in the bar. "'Mrs. Hole," he said, Somebody went sheepishly and called for Mrs. Hall. Mrs. Hall appeared after an interval, a little short of breath, but all the fiercer for that. Hall was still out. She had deliberated over this scene, and she came holding a little tray with an unsettled bill upon it. Is it your bill you're wanting, sir?' she said. "'Why wasn't my breakfast laid? Why haven't you prepared my meals and answered my bell? Do you think I live without eating?' "'Why isn't my bill paid?' said Mrs. Hall that's what i want to know i told you three days ago i was awaiting a remittance i told you two days ago i wasn't going to await no remittances you can't grumble if your breakfast waits a bit if my bill's been waiting these five days can you the stranger swore briefly but vividly no no from the bar and i thank you kindly sir if you keep your swearing to yourself sir said mrs hall the stranger stood looking more like an angry diving helmet than ever it was universally felt in the bar that Mrs. Hall had the better of him. His next words showed as much. "'Look here, my good woman,' he began. "'Don't good woman me,' said Mrs. Hall. "'I've told you my remittance hasn't come.' "'Remittance indeed,' said Mrs. Hall. "'Still I dare say in my pocket. You told me three days ago that you hadn't anything but a sovereign's worth of silver upon you.' "'Well, I've found some more.' "'Allo?' from the bar i wonder where you found it said mrs hall that seemed to annoy the stranger very much he stamped his foot what do you mean he said that i wonder where you found it said mrs hall and before i take any bills or get any breakfasts or do any such things whatsoever you've got to tell me one or two things i don't understand and what nobody don't understand and what everybody's very anxious to understand i want to know what you've been doing to my chair upstairs and I want to know how it is your room was empty, and how you got in again. Then Miss Stops in this house comes in by the doors, that's the rule of the house, and that you didn't do, and what I want to know is how you did come in, and I want to know. Suddenly the stranger raised his gloved hands, clenched, stamped his foot, and said stop, with such an extraordinary violence that he silenced her instantly. You don't understand, he said, who I am or what I am. I'll show you. By heaven I'll show you. Then he put his open palm over his face and withdrew it. The centre of his face became a black cavity. "'Here,' he said. He stepped forward and handed Mrs. Hall something which she, staring at his metamorphosed face, accepted automatically. Then, when she saw what it was, she screamed loudly, dropped it, and staggered back. The nose—it was the stranger's nose, pink and shining—rolled on the floor. Then he removed his spectacles— and everyone in the bar gasped. He took off his hat, and with a violent gesture tore at his whiskers and bandages. For a moment they resisted him. A flash of horrible anticipation passed through the bar. "'Oh, my God!' said some one. Then off they came. It was worse than anything. Mrs. Hall, standing open-mouthed and horror-struck, shrieked at what she saw, and made for the door of the house. Every one began to move. They were prepared for scars, disfigurements, tangible horrors, but nothing. The bandages and false hair flew across the passage into the bar, making a hobbley hoy jump to avoid them. Everyone tumbled on everyone else down the stairs. For the man who stood there shouting some incoherent explanation was a solid, gesticulating figure up to the coat-collar of him, and then—nothingness, no visible thing at all— people down the village heard shouts and shrieks and looking up the street saw the coach and horses violently firing out its humanity they saw mrs hall fall down and mr teddy henfrey jumped to avoid tumbling over her and then they heard the frightful screams of milly who emerging suddenly from the kitchen at the noise of the tumult had come upon the headless stranger from behind these increased suddenly forthwith every one all down the street the sweetstuff seller cocoanut shy proprietor and his assistant the swing men, little boys and girls, rustic dandies, smart wenches, smocked elders and aproned gypsies, began running towards the inn, and in a miraculously short space of time a crowd of perhaps forty people, and rapidly increasing, swayed and hooted, and inquired and exclaimed and suggested, in front of Mrs. Hall's establishment. Everyone seemed eager to talk at once, and the result was Babel. A small group supported Mrs. Hall, who was picked up in a state of collapse there was a conference and the incredible evidence of a vociferous eye-witness. "'Oh, boogie! What's he been doing, then? "'Ain't hurt the girl, has he? Run at him with a knife, I believe. "'No head, I tell you. I don't mean no manner of speaking. "'I mean man without a head. "'Nonsense! Tis some conjuring trick! "'Fetched off his weapon he did!' In its struggles to see in through the open door, the crowd formed itself into a straggling wedge, with the more adventurous apex nearest the inn he stood for a moment i the gal scream and he turned i saw her skirts whisk and he went after her didn't take ten seconds back he comes with a knife in his hand and a loaf stood just as if he was staring not a moment ago when in that there door i tell you he ain't got no head at all you're just missing there was a disturbance behind and the speaker stopped to step aside for a little procession that was marching very resolutely towards the house First Mr Hall, very red and determined, then Mr Bobby Jaffers, the village constable, and then the wary Mr Wadgers. They had come now armed with a warrant. People shouted conflicting information of the recent circumstances. Eda no, Ed, said Jaffers. I got to restin', and restin' our will. Mr Hall marched up the steps, marched straight to the door of the parlour, and flung it open. Constable, he said, Do your duty. Jaffers marched in, Hall next, Wadger's last. They saw in the dim light the headless figure facing them, with a gnawed crust of bread in one gloved hand, and a chunk of cheese in the other. "'That's him,' said Hall. "'What the devil is this?' came in a tone of angry expostulation from above the collar of the figure. "'You're a damned rum customer, mister,' said Mr. Jaffers. "'But ed or no ed, the warrant says body, and duty's duty.' keep off said the figure starting back abruptly he whipped down the bread and cheese and mr hall just grasped the knife on the table in time to save it off came the stranger's left glove and was slapped in jaffer's face in another moment jaffer's cutting short some statement concerning a warrant had gripped him by the handless wrist and caught his invisible throat he got a sounding kick on the shin that made him shout but he kept his grip hall sent the knife sliding along the table to Wadgers who acted as goalkeeper for the offensive so to speak and then stepped forward as jaffers and the stranger swayed and staggered towards him clutching and hitting in a chair stood in the way and went aside with a crash as they came down together get the feet said jaffers between his teeth mr hall endeavouring to act on instructions received a sounding kick in the ribs that disposed of him for a moment and mr wadgers seeing the decapitated stranger had rolled over and got the upper side of jaffers retreated towards the door knife in hand and so collided with mr Huxter and the sidderbridge carter coming to the rescue of law and order at the same moment down came three or four bottles from the chiffonier and shot a web of pungency into the air of the room i'll surrender cried the stranger though he had jaffer's down and in another moment he stood up panting a strange figure headless and handless for he had pulled off his right glove now as well as his left <gasps> it's no good he said as if sobbing for breath it was the strangest thing in the world to hear that voice coming as if out of empty space but the sussex peasants are perhaps the most matter-of-fact people under the sun jaffers got up also and produced a pair of handcuffs then he stared i say said jaffers brought up short by a dim realization of the incongruity of the whole business darn it can't use him as i can see the stranger ran his arm down his waistcoat and as if by a miracle the buttons to which his empty sleeve pointed became undone then he said something about his shin and stooped down he seemed to be fumbling with his shoes and socks what said huxter suddenly that's not a man at all it's just empty clothes look you can see down his collar and the linings of his clothes i could put my arm he extended his hand It seemed to meet something in mid-air, and he drew it back with a sharp exclamation. "'I wish you'd keep your fingers out of my eye,' said the aerial voice, in a tone of savage expostulation. "'The fact is, I'm all here—head, hands, legs, and all the rest of it. But it happens I'm invisible. It's a confounded nuisance, but I am. That's no reason why I should be poked to pieces by every stupid bumpkin and iping, is it?' The suit of clothes, now all unbuttoned and hanging loosely upon its unseen supports, stood up arms akimbo several other of the men-folks had now entered the room so that it was closely crowded Invisible, eh said huxter ignoring the stranger's abuse who ever heard the likes of that it's strange perhaps but it's not a crime why am i assaulted by a policeman in this fashion ah that's a different matter said jaffers no doubt you're a bit difficult to see in this light but i got a warrant and it's all correct what i'm after ain't no invisibility It's burglary. There's an house been broken into, and money took. Well, and circumstances certainly point. Stuff and nonsense," said the invisible man. I hope so, sir, but I've got my instructions. Well, said the stranger, I'll come, I'll come, but no handcuffs. It's the regular thing, said Jaffers. No handcuffs, stipulated the stranger. Pardon me, said Jaffers. Abruptly the figure sat down, and before any could realise what was being done, the slippers, socks, and trousers had been kicked off under the table. Then he sprang up again and flung off his coat. "'Eh, stop that!' said Jaffers, suddenly realising what was happening. He gripped at the waistcoat. It struggled, and the shirt slipped out of it and left it limp and empty in his hand. "'Hold him!' said Jaffers loudly. "'Once he gets the things off!' "'Hold him!' cried every one and there was a rush at the fluttering white shirt which was now all that was visible of the stranger. The shirt-sleeve planted a shrewd blow in Hall's face that stopped his open-armed advance and sent him backward into old Toothsome the sexton, and in another moment the garment was lifted up and became convulsed and vacantly flapping about the arms, even as a shirt that is being thrust over a man's head. Jaffers clutched at it and only helped to pull it off he was struck in the mouth out of the air and incontinently threw his truncheon and smote teddy henfrey savagely upon the crown of his head look out said everybody fencing at random and hitting at nothing hold him shut the door don't let him loose i got something here he is a perfect babel of noises they made everybody it seemed was being hit all at once and sandy wadgers knowing as ever and his wit sharpened by a frightful blow in the nose reopened the door and led the route. The others, following incontinently, were jammed for a moment in the corner by the doorway. The hitting continued. Phipps, the Unitarian, had a front tooth broken, and Henfrey was injured in the cartilage of his ear. Jaffers was struck under the jaw, and turning, caught at something that intervened between him and Huxter in the melee, and prevented their coming together. He felt a muscular chest, and in another moment the whole mass of struggling excited men shot out into the crowded hall i got him shouted jaffers choking and reeling through them all and wrestling with purple face and swelling veins against his unseen enemy men staggered right and left as the extraordinary conflict swayed swiftly towards the house door and went spinning down the half-dozen steps of the inn jaffers cried in a strangling voice holding tight nevertheless and making play with his knee spun around, and fell heavily undermost with his head on the gravel. Only then did his fingers relax. There were excited cries of, "'Hold him! Invisible!' and so forth, and a young fellow, a stranger in the place, whose name did not come to light, rushed in at once, caught something, missed his hold, and fell over the constable's prostrate body. Halfway across the road a woman screamed as something pushed by her. A dog, kicked apparently, yelped and ran howling into Huckster's yard, and with that the transit of the invisible man was accomplished. For a space people stood amazed and gesticulating, and then came panic, and scattered them abroad through the village as a gust scatters dead leaves. But Jaffers lay quite still, face upward and knees bent, at the foot of the steps of the inn. End of chapters 5, 6 and 7